I want to begin with a question. So I have a faith question for you. I want to see if you can guess how great my faith is, right? How great is your pastor's faith? So if I have complete faith that I take this foot and I take a step forward and I can keep walking and everyone in here with me has as much faith as I do that I can take this step. Is this, should we put our faith in that? Anyone, anyone willing to put their faith in if I take this step, I'm not going to fall and twist my ankle. Christy's told me many times not, not to jump off the stage. And for her sake, I won't. And so what I want us to, to think about is before we start talking about faith in the context of Hebrews chapter 11, I want us to think about the things that we put our faith in. Because if I put my faith that my next step is going to be on solid ground when in fact it's thin air, is that faith that I should trust in? If I put my faith that I can jump from the front of this room to the back of the room, if I really believe it hard enough, with all my heart, I believe that I can fly from here to there. Andrew, is that faith that will hold up? Good answer. Yeah. And so I want us to think about what are the things that we put our faith in? We do it every day. We have a faith that when we sit in a chair that it's not going to fall apart, that the molecules that were holding that wood together the day before are the same today. But what about other things that we don't realize we put our, our faith into? What about people who put their faith in governments, companies? What about people who put their faith in presidents, kings, prime ministers? People who they look to to solve all of their problems. Well, this person or this organization or this change will make my life better. Are those things worth putting our faith in? Are they worth trusting? What about the news? Is the news, what we see, what is told to us, is it worth trusting? What about weathermen? We see how, how that turns out, right? The things that we put our faith in, we plan our whole lives and we think that the information that we're getting is going to make our lives better, or at least inform us about the future. And how often are they wrong? Most times, many times. And we don't realize that when we believe something, we put our trust in it, it becomes faith. What about the people who believe with all their heart, every fiber of their being, that when they die, that's it? And there's nothing else. Or they believe with all their heart that God will accept them based on their own standard of goodness and righteousness. Is that a faith worth trusting in? Should you put your faith in your assumptions? Should you put your faith in a God of your own making who bows to your standards? If someone believed that they were a sea turtle or a watermelon, got Andrew's attention on that one, we would put them in a padded cell with, with, with 24-hour surveillance because we know that that's crazy because he believes something that could not possibly be true. What about people who stake their entire lives on things that are not true? Is there a difference between trusting in something as silly as I'm a watermelon or trusting in something as silly as eternity depends on my own goodness and my idea of what eternity is? We put them side by side. Are they really that different? We love in our culture to talk about this is a, they're a man of faith, they're a woman of faith. And that can be a good thing, but the most important question of all is what is your faith in? 
Because we love to throw on words like hope and faith as if they within themselves are good things. But without an object, faith is worthless. People put their faith in false things all the time. Does that make that a valid faith? Third grade. Everybody should have a good third grade story. I have one. Friend, his name is Charlie, for his own good. I'm not going to say his last name because I don't remember it. Um, but we had this ongoing argument. Remember professional wrestling in the 80s? Uh, you, you remember the Ultimate Warrior and um, Andre the Giant and all those? He was convinced. It was his favorite thing. There is no way that professional wrestling is fake. We would have this debate for weeks. And in my wise third grade mind, I said, we, I will bet you any amount of money. He said, I'll bet you $100 that professional wrestling is not fake. He put all his faith into professional wrestling. Charlie will never hear this, but if I see him, he still owes me $100. Hopefully he realizes by now that that's fake. But putting your faith in things and trying to make things real that are not real is not faith, it's foolishness. I love what Arthur Pink says about this. He says, faith, whether natural or supernatural, is belief in a testimony. And so that kind of sets the basis for what we're going to talk about because faith is belief in a testimony. It is belief in a witness. And what witness are you believing? You believing a natural witness like most of the world does, or is it a spiritual witness? Because we're going to talk about things that are unseen this morning. And faith rarely deals with what we can see. We saw that in, in Romans. What kind, of, what kind of hope is if you're hoping in something that you can see? Hope, the hope that honors God and the hope that looks to Christ is trusting in the promises of God, which are often unseen. And so we're going to get into this, this new series in Hebrews 11 And we're going to look at these testimonies, these testimonies of faithful men and women who by faith trusted the promises of God and ultimately point us to Christ. The book of Hebrews is ultimately about the testimony of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And I want to begin with the end in mind. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 and we're going to end in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. But if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is the point of all of Hebrews 11, and this is going to be the point of our entire series. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Our whole reason for believing. In fact, that's what the entire book of Hebrews is about. It's about assurance in Christ. It's about conviction and confidence in Christ. It starts from the very first verse in the book of Hebrews, which says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Our series is all based on this first verse, that God speaks to his people through many different ways throughout time. But once his son came, it was the perfect message in the perfect messenger. And all of Hebrews is building off of that verse, that now God is speaking to us through his son. And the sacrificial system 
and the blood of bulls and goats and the covenant based on the law no longer applies to those who have faith in Christ. And our faith is based solely on the finished work of Christ and not temporary things. And so we would be remiss if we begin in chapter 11 and we don't look at all of Hebrews 1 through 10, which basically challenges us to say that until you understand the sufficiency of Christ, until you understand what Christ's finished work accomplished, until you understand this better covenant in his blood that cannot be shaken forever, then faith means nothing. But if you understand his blood that has been shed once and for all, and that does away with our need to bring bloody sacrifices before God, and that what his sacrifice accomplished is an assurance for all time, the love, the presence of the Father through the accomplishment of the Son. And that is where we find ourselves in Hebrews 11. And we'll keep looking back to the rest of Hebrews and how God's work from the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit has changed everything for all time. Now turn with me to chapter 11. I'm actually going to start reading in uh, chapter 10, verse 37. Told you many times, don't always go by the chapter divisions in your Bible. Because they will cut a, a thought that should not be severed. So I want to begin at Hebrews chapter 10, 37. Uh, and if my voice goes in and out, I've had a sore throat for like two weeks. You know my throat is sore if I'm drinking tea. Because I hate tea. But I, I have to do it. Otherwise, uh, I'll be coughing up here like crazy. And thankfully, my wife made tea for me. And she reminds me all the time, stop talking, your throat's sore, and I, I don't listen. All right, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls, preserve their souls, excuse me. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, glorious beyond compare. And though while we do not see you, as Peter tells us, we do believe. Because your evidence of who you are is present all around us. Lord, help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people who trust in the unseen, but see the unseen as if it's right before our eyes because it is so sure because it is from you. And I hope this series and this time together in Hebrews is an encouragement to us as we look to examples for faith and how they point us to Christ that we would live our lives in light of your glory before your throne and do it gladly and hopefully because we know that we will join you before that throne in worship one day soon. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Dedicate our lives in this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to bring a couple things to your attention at the end of chapter 10. I mean, chapter 10 is a chapter about assurance of faith. And so 
We would not do chapter 11 justice if we did not begin with verse 37 of chapter 10. Now, the end of chapter 10 tells us why we can have confidence and why we should have confidence in Christ because of the righteous one living by faith. And that confidence is those who stand in the faith, not those who shrink back in the midst of persecution and in the midst of pressure. Uh, verse 38 is actually quoted from Habakkuk 2.4. And so the writer of Hebrews, like they do quite often, is look back to the Old Testament. And so this is almost saying, you know Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. I'm about to give you many examples of that. And so in a sense, this next sermon series are sermon illustrations from Habakkuk 2.4. How do the righteous ones live by faith? Well, we're going to see. I'm going to introduce it this week, and then next week we're going to get into Cain and Abel, and Noah, and Enoch, and Abraham, and Moses, and Rahab, and all of these great stories that we learn a lot of times in, uh, in, in, in children's Sunday school classes, but Hebrews brings this depth out of them, and how their faith points us to Christ and was pointing them to Christ ultimately. And this is not generic faith, but this is saving faith. It's not faith in nothing but faith in the gospel, faith that justifies. Uh, in Romans 1, many of you know these, these verses, but Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This pattern is throughout scripture that righteousness is a life lived in faith. That it's that just like these great patriarchs that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, that it is not by their deeds or their sheer will or their power to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but is their faith in a faithful God who is unchanging. I'm going to tell you guys, I was humbled by this study this week. And if I can just be honest, when you think about something like faith, I'm a pastor. We're Christians in this room. Sure, let me explain faith to you. I start thinking about how do I explain this? And I start reading what others have come before me have written about faith. And I realize I'm not qualified to talk about faith. I realize my knowledge of faith can't even scratch the surface. And especially in the midst of a couple difficult weeks. Because when you're struggling with uncertainty and you're struggling with confusion and disappointment, I realized the only reason I'm still standing, the only reason I could still smile is because of my faith. And my heart breaks for those who don't have faith in something real, who don't have something to put their trust into. Because if I didn't, I would just curl up in a ball and just wake me up when it's all over. But my strength came from the Lord many, many times. What are you doing? Look at all these things that are happening. Why don't you just quit and get over it? We all have those things, those conversations that we have inside of our head. But when we remind ourselves the truth of the gospel that Paul tells us in Romans 1, that is what our hope is in. This Christ who came and lived perfectly for us and died perfectly for those who trust in him. And we trust in the perfect one who is perfect for all times. Our faith is not in vain. 
that. It's the basis of our text this morning. So let's start in verse 1, chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, As you see in your first outline heading, this is more of a description uh, than it is a, a definition. Because faith has many rich definitions and many people have their own definition. But if you look in the original Greek text, belief and faith are synonymous. They're used by the same word. Um, and, but there's also a sense of trust that goes along with that. We went through James a couple months ago. And in James, James tells us that even the demons believe and they shudder. Faith is not just mere belief. The demons know who God is. They know who Christ is and they shudder in fear. As should we. But do they put their trust in the Son? Do they put their trust in the Father? Belief without trust is not faith. It's an empty belief. And so when we, when we talk about faith, this, this concept of believing with trust, it's not just knowing that something is true. It is believing it and applying it to your life to where it changes your life. And so faith, that's why this series is living by faith or living faith. Because that belief accompanied with trust applied to our lives is what a righteous life looks like. It's not the demons who know the truth and rebel against it. But it's those who shudder at the idea of an almighty God. But run to him as a father who loves him. It's the difference between regular belief and belief in anything or faith that is empty and justifying faith. A faith that justifies us, makes us righteous before God. Our righteousness is in our belief in him and in our ability to live well before him. And out of that righteousness, we are able to live by that faith because the assurance is planted in our hearts by God. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But first of all, I want you to see that faith is assurance. Assurance, the things that we put our hope in, the things that are sure to us. The writer says here, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This word hope has a future connotation to it. It's looking toward things. It's assurance in the hope of things to come or God's promises, the things that we should ultimately put our hope in, and they can be trusted. That's why it's so important what we put our hope in, and it's, it, it's vital. Because our hope, the writer tells us, is the basis for our faith. Now, faith is the insurance of things hoped for. It is a present trust in a future reality. Now, hope looks toward the future, but faith is in the present. And so we talk a lot about the already and the not yet. Faith takes the not yet, our hope, the things to come, the promises of God that we can't see, and makes them already. And it's this, this beautiful outside of time concept that our faith is not just based on what I can see and touch but on the promises of God for tomorrow and his faithfulness from yesterday. The promises of God are real. So once our minds comprehend them, our hearts trust them, they become real to us. They become tangible. Many of the older translations talk about this, uh, the assurance of things hoped for, excuse me, the, the substance of things hoped for, if hope is placed in something real and it becomes faith that is real, it becomes tangible. It becomes a substance. It becomes as real as the ground that I'm standing on. And faith is also a conviction, 
a deep trust, a confidence that even when we don't see, we still believe. There's a very, very common misconception in our culture called blind faith. And this is the attack that the culture uses on us many times. Well, that's just blind faith. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as blind faith. No one acts without information. Everything we do is an informed decision, whether you base it on a lot of information or not. No one does things blindly. No one has blind faith. No one says, I'm going to run off of a cliff that I have no idea what's going to happen to me afterward. No one does that. Every decision that is made, everything that was supposedly done in faith is based on some type of information. And so they accuse believers or Christians of having blind faith. You just believe in something you've never seen. If you understand faith and you understand this, this passage, it is as clear as day if your eyes have been opened. I'm going to see that in just a moment. We also are told that seeing is believing. And that I can't believe something unless I see it. How many people in scripture has said that? How many people have said that about Christ? That I can't believe unless I see him. Unless I see the marks on his hands, I will not believe. How many doubting Thomases are out there? We've, we've been doubting Thomases at moments in our lives. But we assume that seeing is believing only applies to our physical eyes. That the only things that are real are the things that I can look at, that I can hold, that I can touch, that I know are right in front of me. But when our eyes are opened by faith, it gives us the capacity to see the things that are unseen. Faith to see things and hear things that can't be seen by natural senses. Giving us a spiritual vision. I love what Helen Keller said, who's blind and deaf author. She said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. I love that. The only thing that is, that is worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And those of you who have glasses or contacts know what that's like. To not see, to live life in blurry vision. But the moment that new prescription is updated... You put the contacts in, it's like a whole new world. And that is the picture that scripture gives us so many times about conversion. Opening the eyes of the blind, the scales falling off and seeing things you've never seen before. That's what faith does. Faith is able to give us a conviction of things not seen. But in a sense, it is a sight that is more powerful than anything Standing right in front of us. Let's think about the things that we see once we've been granted the vision by faith. We can't see eternality. None of us, none of us has ever seen God in his full glory. Yet we look around and evidence of him is everywhere. No one of us, none of us has ever, as a Christian, you've never seen God's salvation. You did not see Christ on the cross. You did not see his blood shed before all of, all of Jerusalem at that time, you did not see your sins taken away. But yet, yet if indeed your sins have been, it is, as, it is as clear as if they were weighed out right in front of you. We have never seen our sanctification. We have never seen the Spirit growing us in glory to glory, closer and closer to the image of Christ. We've never seen that happen. But as a believer, when you look back, you know you are not the person you were before Christ. You are not the person you were last month or even the person you were a few weeks ago if you are indeed growing in Christ. These things we don't see, but we are as sure of them as I am standing here. I've seen many of you in this room 
who've grown since I've known you. And that is real. We have no concept of eternal life. We can't see eternal life. We can't see the things that are to come. But we know our God is faithful. And our God is trustworthy. And the things that are to come are as sure as the things that have happened already. So we can't see our glorified bodies. We can't see Christ's return. We can't see God's throne. And we can't see the new heavens and the new earth. But for those of us who know that our God does not lie and his promises do not change, those are as real as if we were looking at them right in front of our eyes. Arthur Pink again says, Faith is a grace which unites subject and object. Faith, then, is the bond of union between the soul and the things that God has promised. I love that. The bond of union between the soul and the things that God has promised. Our very inner being being drawn to the promises of God and faith unites subject and object. I love the words of John 6, 6 through 9, when Jesus asks, excuse me, uh, John 6, 69. Jesus asked them about their confidence. And they said, we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That is faith. We believe And we come to know belief plus trust in the Holy One of God. And that is the ultimate question that everyone will have to answer. What is my faith in? Do you believe and come to know that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the only hope for salvation? It's the greatest declaration that anyone can ever make. These words, assurance and conviction, are not words that describe a flighting feeling or some wishful thinking. But reality, based on Christ, as real as Christ is, and as real as his death and resurrection and atonement for our sins is. So verse 2, all that in verse 1. These these next ones are going to go really quick. Verse 2, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Their commendation, their credit, uh, their reward, their recognition by God, by it, by faith. Over and over and over again, you're going to see this pattern in Hebrews 11, that by faith, by faith, Canaanite, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham. It always begins with the faith. It always begins with the knowledge of God, that, that saving, trusting faith in God's plan first. And by their faith, this saving grace given to these Old Testament saints. You ever heard the question, well, if Christ didn't come until after the Old Testament was written and until uh, Abel and Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Samuel and David all died, how were they saved? God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God saved them the same way he saves us. By faith and the perfect work of the Messiah. They, the writer of Hebrews, will lay out the case, were saved by their faith in Jesus Christ. What? How's that possible? How is someone who lived 3,000 years before him able to be saved by his work? Because faith is a gift from God. It is a grace. And it is placed in the heart of his people before the foundation of the earth. And our God created time. He is outside of time. So even though there was a moment in time 
that Christ died for salvation, died for sins of those who believe in him, it applies to those who trusted forward toward him just as much as it applies to those who look back to him. And so in that one act on the cross, his saving work became saving faith for all those who trust and believe in him. And that should just blow your mind. I mean, think about that for a moment or a month. That the work of Christ was what everyone in the Old Testament was looking forward to. The promises of God that began in Genesis 3. The writer of Hebrews sets us up for that in chapter 6. These words, uh, verses 11 and 12. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12 says, And we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We share in the saints throughout the ages in patience to inherit the promises of God through faith. And that is the encouragement of the book of Hebrews. Because if I, we look for encouragement in this life and in our daily circumstances. In the midst of hurricanes, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of people who let us down all the time, we would have no hope. We would have no assurance. Because our only assurance would be a lucky guess about tomorrow that it's going to be better than today. But if our faith is in the promises that the saints died for, that as we'll see in a few weeks, that Abraham left everything for, that Moses stood before the mightiest king on the world for, that Rahab betrayed her whole town, all of her people for his faith in a God who saves and a God who is faithful in his promises. And they are an example for us, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, sometimes a positive example, sometimes a negative example. But those who received their commendation from God did it by faith. And we are to see there are good examples and the negative examples in our lives. Verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And this is such a great verse. And before I, I, I get into it, it made me think this week about the great hymn, How Great Thou Art. Let me read verse 11, and I want to read the first verse of, of this him. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things that are visible. Close your eyes while I read this and think about creation. What does it tell us about God? The writer of How Great Thou Art says, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. Amazing picture of creation, created by the very word of God. And this we believe by faith, because the Bible tells us so but also because it makes the most logical sense. Because if you look around us, and the other option that we have is that a bunch of random processes 
coupled with another bunch of random processes, over and over again for billions of years randomly in chaotic uh, confusion and bumping up against one another ultimately gives, makes everything you see here. So chaos and disorder for billions of years on top of billions of years creates a perfectly working ecosystem, a, a, a planet that turns perfectly on its axis. The seasons that perfectly build up the ground and break it down for the benefit of the soil so that things can grow, so that we can eat, and so that it nourishes animals. And so all this relating in the culmination of creation, the human body, which is a mastery in itself, that every cell working perfectly to breathe, to process air, to process food, to procreate, to think, to live, to feel, to build, to be creative like our creator, all that by random processes or by the mighty word of God. This is our first example. We don't look at this as an example in Hebrews 11, but this is our first natural example. General revelation. Looking outside, if you stand and look at a flower, if you watch a caterpillar and butterfly go through the process if you look at a baby grow and, and, and learn and don't see a creator, you're blind. You don't have sight at all. There is no vision there. And so when we understand who God is, that not only is he some, some big and powerful God who created everything and spun it into existence like many people may think, but his hand is in it, intimately and intricately, knowing every hair on your head, every thought in your mind, everything that you've ever been through. So when we face things like a storm, we can be a witness. How many opportunities did we have during the storm when everyone else loses their minds? Because if all there is is what I can see is my house and my things and my stuff and my internet, God forbid, Sunday NFL goes out for a couple hours. I don't know what to do with myself. Hope is not in these things. We have so many opportunities to witness in those instances. I have many people who are scrambling, freaking out. What are we going to do? They're just amazed. How, how can you be so, so calm? One, I don't trust weathermen. I put my, my faith in more reliable things. Um, we do this every year, don't we? We do this every year that, okay, everyone's going to freak out. We're going to board, board up the houses and the whole state's going to be wiped out and it never happens. It's just for ratings. But for everyone else who believes these things, who puts their faith in everything that they see and everything that's sensationalized on TV, we can say, no. God has promised us that he will not destroy the world again like he did in the flood. God has promised us that he will be faithful and that he will provide for us in the midst of the storm, in the midst of all things. And we can have our hope in those things in the midst of uncertainty. And we need to be those people who not only knows that, but believes it and trusts in it and can proclaim it. Because it is an amazing witness. And also, not just before the storm, but during the storm. I mean, how many people, I think I met all my neighbors during the storm. People who, yeah, I've only been there a couple months, but people who I've never seen come outside. Now they don't have a choice. They don't have any power. They're, they're, it's cooler outside. So now you get opportunities to, to speak to people. 
and to come outside of your comfort zone. And so we've been praising God, some of us, we've been praising God for the opportunities he gives us during the storm. Some time without TV, some time without internet. It'll do you some good, I promise. And time to get to know people in your, your neighborhood and share the hope that you have with them. I've had opportunities to pray with my neighbors. I think that that probably would not have happened if it were not for the storm. I've had opportunities to make relationships with my neighbors that I think will probably last beyond the storm. And the Lord uses that in amazing ways. It's because my faith is in him. And when I see people who are worried and don't have faith, I want them to have that faith. I want them to know the one who has saved me. I want them to know when they are broken and distraught, the same God who created the universe is still in control. And he did it by his word. I love this. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Speech, words are not tangible. It is not visible things. No one has ever seen a word. No one has ever seen speech. And when you're in the cold and you're breathing out, that, that doesn't count. God's words, things that are unseen, created everything that, was un, that, it, that is seen. You ever, you ever thought about that? That God's speech was so powerful, an unseen thing makes everything that is seen. You just had to sit back this week and just rest on that for a minute. How is it that something invisible makes something visible? Only by the creative power of Christ. John 1.1, 1, 1, we all know this. But if you think about the, the invisible becoming visible, think about in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The great unseen. The God of the universe. And his throne above for all times. Made everything that we can see in front of us. And our faith is like that. The writer of Hebrews tells us that our understanding of God's work is confirmation. That the things that are unseen become seen to those who are given eyes to see. Those who are given true vision. God's invisible cosmic power. We can't see God's power, but his evidences are all around us. And faith that understands creation that understands the promises of God that have been the same since day one, that he will provide for and care for his people, can confidently look forward in hope that the same God who created all things perfectly will one day again recreate all things perfectly. And we find ourselves full circle, that when we look to God's creative power in the universe, it brings us back to our hope. Our hope that it didn't end on the cross. It doesn't end with the resurrection. And there is no end for those who are in him. Because when Christ comes again, he is coming again because he said so. There is a glory and there is a great reconciliation and renewal of all things. And that hope and that future thing becomes a present reality for those who trust and believe in him. 
So how do we conclude this morning? I want to leave you with some, some questions. Um, these messages, I'll be honest, they're always tough. Because this is not something concrete. This is not talking about something that is, is easy to explain or even grasp. And some of us have been Christians for many years and understanding how faith works in us and how we live by faith is still difficult. And so these are questions I want you to ask throughout the week and to continue to ask. What is your hope in? We spent a long time in 1 Peter looking at hope through suffering and how we can have hope through suffering. What is that hope really in, in light of what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks? And if you ask yourself a real question, are the things that I put my hope in, are they worth trusting? Day in and day out, do I trust in things that are worth trusting? And the things that I hope in, are they so real that they are tangible? Are they so real that as if I were holding them in my hand? And if those things that you're trusting in are deteriorating, then your hope is misplaced. But if our hope and our faith is in the person and work of Jesus Christ, as we sung earlier, it is finished. It is done. It is final. It is complete in all things. And what Christ has accomplished is, should be as real is the skin on your body. And that can only be understood by faith. Because to the rest of the world, we are crazy. To the rest of the world, that is just nuts. But someone who has been saved by the grace of God, who has been covered by the anointed blood, by the anointing of the blood of Christ, that is as real as it gets. Because everything else can be taken away, and that will never be shaken. I want to encourage you, in that faith, we share with all the saints throughout all of history, in all the saints that are to come, there's one way to be saved. It's by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. Let that be the words on our lips and the battle cry of our hearts that we are not alone. We are the saints throughout the ages, the church of God, the bride of Christ, saved by our faith in him. And by that faith, we understand the mysteries of creation. We see the glory of God everywhere. We trust that God has created the world and is upholding it with his mighty right hand. We can also trust that one day when he recreates all things, there's a place for us. He loves us and will provide for us in perfection for all time. In faith that is any smaller than the eternal plan of an almighty God who saves sinners for the purpose of his own glory. It's a sad, foolish faith. But if our faith is that big, if our God is that big, it makes it easier to live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for faith. If it was just up to us, we would have no hope. If it was just up to information and what we could understand, we would be beyond help. Thank you for the work of your son. Because without him, we would have no hope on our own. 
Thank you for perfect blood shed for us. Thank you for sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for a finished work. There's nothing to be added to it. Lord, and I just pray this morning that we would be challenged to think through and apply to our hearts our faith. And if our faith is misplaced, Lord, let us turn to you and trust in you and believe in your promises because they are true, because you are true. Lord, I just pray that this would be an encouragement for those of us who are in you for your body, that in the midst of all things, we share in your righteousness. You love us and you care for us. The founder, perfecter of our faith, you are good and merciful toward those who love you. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.